This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Welcome to the Local Angle on FanDuel TV. I'm Sheil Kapadia with Ben Solak from the Ringers Philly special. We will talk about the Eagles' ongoing collapse as they go into the playoffs to face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Then we'll have Brian Barrett and James White from Off the Pike talking about what's next for the Patriots and Bill Belichick. Jason Goff from the Full Go will join to talk Bears, Packers, and Justin Fields' future. And finally, JJ, John Jastrzemski from New York, New York on the Jets and the Giants. How about the Jets and the Giants? Both win to end the season. But first, we start off with the Philadelphia Eagles. Your football team stinks. Garbanzo beans. They got nothing. An all-time collapse. 10-1 and to 11-6. and Lost to the Cardinals. Lost to the Giants. No life. And now going on the road somehow, somehow, as road favorites to face the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Benjamin Solak, how are you doing? Not, not great, Chief. Gosh, they're so bad. They're so bad. They're so awful to watch. They're terrible. They're not good. They're going to lose to Baker Mayfield in the playoffs. I'm going to have to watch the entire thing professionally and family, and it's horrible. All right. Here, 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 let's, just, let's just come out firing. Is Nick Sirianni this team's head coach in week one of the 2024 season? Where are you? Pro- probably, but if you asked me last week, I would have been like, yeah, 95% for sure. And now I'm like, okay, 70, 75, right? Like, I, and, and the, the leverage, the, the, the moving target is in how the players feel about him and how the players feel the degree to which he's at fault. Like if he retains control of and favor of the locker room, then it's fine. You obviously need different court, new coordinators on both sides of the ball. But if the team still wants to play for Sirianni, then cool. If the team doesn't, which like I would say the general vocal thrust is that they do, but you never know like if they're, if they're selling a bill of goods or not. Uh, if, if the sense that the team does not want to play for Sirianni is providing nothing. Does it matter and, if they want, does it matter if they want to play for Sirianni if when they're playing for Sirianni, this is the product they're putting out? Well, when they're playing for Sirianni over a large sample, they've been better than bad, right? Yeah. They've been better than average. They've been good. And so you, you, that's why like, to me, what's interesting is the degree to which the nature of the locker room has changed on him because we, you and I have covered enough teams enough time to know that a team can be bad both like starting the season, be straight bad and be bad for a long time or start strong and end up disappointing. And in that process, still retain a lot of faith in their head coach. Like we, we have, we have seen that happen across the league many, many, many times. Like I'm watching, I'm just watching across the league and I'm watching like Mike Tomlin Steelers dropped three in a row and just 
circled the wagons and won their, their games and made it to the postseason. The 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 Minnesota Vikings, right? They lost four in a row. And like, okay, this is like a a a a, a collapse, right? No quarterback. But you don't like Kevin O'Connell. Still, like, there's belief around Kevin O'Connell. Like, the team very clearly is still in on Kevin O'Connell. There's there there are ways to have losing stretches, and then for the head coach to circle the wagons to get a win under your belts and to to say like, all right, no, don't worry about it. We're a good team. The Eagles have lost five of their last six, and at no point has it seemed like Nick Sirianni is doing anything about like that helpfully in a, <laughs> in a constructive way. And so that's where you're like, okay, like what a good coach would be doing here is he would be finding a foothold, stopping the skid, surviving, and and finding a way to start climbing back uphill again and just ch- and chug it along. And like they haven't found that. Not only have they not found it, it's it's unbelievable how exactly the same they look every single week, dude. I it, yeah. it is it 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 like win, lose, Tyra Taylor, Tommy DeVito, playoffs, second seed, third seed, five seed, NFC. Like, I don't care about any of it. Obviously, I do, I care a lot about it, but I don't care about any of it. It's watching the team come out with the same John week over week. They are getting beat on the same offensive calls against the same defensive looks. I have no idea how Jalen Hurts can take himself seriously back there, acting surprised by every blitz look. What do you think's going to happen? I don't know how we got Nolan Smith and Josh Sweat dropping into coverage. <laughs> this was last week we were losing this. You did, what did you do on Tuesday? What were you up to? How are you riding with the same stuff? It's so pathetic. Very good. Uh, great way to start us off. I'm with you on Sirianni. That's where I was. I mean, all the talk the last few weeks, I was going, everybody settle down, zoom out. Not, I didn't say settle down because you don't have to settle. You shouldn't settle down. This is an all-time collapse. I mean, this is unbelievable to start out 10-1 and one and now be 11-6 and six and legitimately suck. Like, you're not getting bad bounces. It's not like you got, you know, 20 people got injured. Like, your team stinks and you have no answers. That's exactly what this looks like. So mm-hmm. uh, that's that. But I, I was in the, in the camp of, all right, zoom out. Big sample. Sirianni's like winning percentage over three years. Uh, they're going to make some changes on the coaching staff. They'll, they'll try to figure out what went wrong this season, figure it out for next year. But give me a break. He's not going anywhere. I don't know. I don't know. Now, if they go to Tampa next week and it's another performance like this, by the way, they lost to the Giants 27-10, if you care what the score was uh, or didn't watch the game. If they have a performance like this again next week in the playoffs, now all of a sudden it becomes at least a conversation. In my opinion, I mean, if you're Jeffrey Lurie and Howie Roseman and you're looking at this, it's, it's exactly what you said. They have had some time here to yeah. come up with answers. Like they have had, what, five, six weeks here, an easy part of your schedule. Remember, I remember a time when we were saying, oh, you got the, you know, you got the Cardinals. They got Giants, Cardinals, Giants coming up. You can figure some things out. You win those games. You go into the playoffs feeling better about yourself. Whoops. That, that, that didn't happen. So they've had time to figure it out. And the big button they pushed when they thought things were collapsing, again, I hate to repeat this every podcast, but it bears repeating when you make a move this stupid, was to give Matt Patricia more power. Hand the defense over to him. I mean, did you watch? Oh, wait. Oh, what's that? I think Kevin Byer just got home on that blitz from the first quarter. So, like, I just see him over there. Yeah, he finally crossed the line of scrimmage. I mean, this is like, they can't, they were bad under Sean Desai. There's no doubt about it. They are bad in a very different way over the last four weeks. They cannot got, get lined up. They don't know what their jobs are. The they jobs lost they a have, motion all game. Not happy all game, with, they lost a pre snap motion. And this isn't like a Mike McDaniel. Oh, Mike McDaniel whipped this up in the lap. Look at, this is like a, 
regular mo every single team puts a person. How do you not know when a guy's going in motion what to do? They're running into each other. Nick Morrow's mouthpiece is not in his mouth when the ball is snapped like 12 times a game. Hey, Kevin Byers, shut up. Bump him over. Push him over. But now you go. All of a sudden, the guy's running up and down field. I mean, this is laughable defense. I tweeted it out, and I think it's true. I think this is the worst defensive football I've seen in my lifetime from an Eagles team, like the last two weeks. You let the Cardinals and the Giants, two teams that came in, we were going to pick in the top five in the draft, score touchdowns on seven of ten drives. And again, there's nothing fluky about it. You didn't get a bad defensive no. pass interference call. You didn't have six guys out due to injury. Like, they are killing you. This is atrocious, horrible defensive football that gives you no chance, pretty much, uh, against any opponent. So you add all that up, and you're Howie Roseman, and you're Jeffrey Lurie, and we know Howie Roseman's going to look at this and say, I gave them more than enough to put out a better product than they're putting out right now. Uh, Jeffrey Lurie probably feels the same way when he looks at the talent on the roster and they've had some time to figure this out and they've come up with no answer. So that's the reason I led the show like that, because I do think that's at least a conversation now uh, that's fair and that could potentially be happening a week from now if they lose to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in, a, in an embarrassing way. Yeah, since week 12, they're third worst in the league in defense success rate. They're second worst by EPA per drive surrender defensively. The Commanders are the only team that's worse. And the Commanders had a DC change in the middle of this year, but then traded away their two best defensive players. The Eagles traded for Kevin Byard, yeah. right? The Eagles thought that the defense was going to get better. Uh, the, right, the, the, you bring up, like, okay, Patricia, like, we don't know, we sh like, should we bring this up again, yes or no? It, it's funny because, like, it's not that. Like, the defense was bad under Desai, and they're bad under Patricia. It's not like Patricia took, like, a middling defense and ruined it. It was a bad defense, and now it's even worse. But it, it's I would say, though, they were around, like, 20th to 22nd, and they had yeah. played a very tough schedule. And under Patricia, mm -hmm. they have played Drew Locke, Cutlet, the Cardinals with Kyler Murray, and Tyrod Taylor. I mean, so there is, like, like Desai, at least, it was against yeah. Josh Allen. Like, uh, he got lit up no, by Sam Howell, I'm, don't get me wrong. But it is right. a little different. Yeah. No, I'm with you on that. But what, what's, what's more meaningful to me is that, because you said, like, oh, you know, they had six weeks to figure this out. And it's true. But though, that's the six weeks of, like, losing football. They had more time than this, right? You and I were hopping on this pod being like, this is not a 10-1 team. Yeah. Like, they're like, like point differential-wise, yes. this is not a 10-1 team. So we look like they had more than six weeks. Because they had a chance to be honest with themselves about what was going on offensively and defensively and say, this is what we have to improve. This is this is where, where our bread is buttered. We're going we're gonna to focus more on this, and we're going to cut this out of the playbook, and we're going to get, you know, Keely Ringo some snaps now so that way he's better in Week 18. Like, they had a ton of stuff that they could have done. And the, the only measurable thing that like i have heard about or read about or, or or been privy to on film is that they gave bat patricia uh control over third down and then they gave him control over the whole defense and third down got worse and defense got worse but it's the fact that, that they spent all of october and november talking about we're not playing our best ball and the only thing that happened was a defensive coordinator switch that was very clearly dead in the water that very clearly was never going to have an impact at no point was and we replace him with Matt Patricia going to bring a positive thing. So you, you brought nothing, right? You had, like, there are teams that start the year like four and four and haven't played their best ball yet. And they know, okay, we have to get desperate. We have to get, we have to attack. We have to make changes. We're going to prioritize touches for this young player. And we're going to move on from this older player. And we're going to make these changes schematically. We're going to try these new plays because they understand, like, all right, we're getting to the middle of the season here. We got to win some games. We got to establish positioning. The Eagles were 7-1, and one, and on every, every Sunday they told us they weren't playing their best ball, and then they spent the next six days with a thumb up their butts, and they didn't do anything. And, like, that, that is on, 
coaching that is on leadership all they did was tell us that it, it, it's not as good as it should be and it should get better. And then nothing ever changed except for Matt Patricia, which is the opposite of change of like a good change. It's the dumbest change ever. And so it's very difficult to feel bad for them. How You didn't see this coming? We, uh, like, obviously, none of us thought 11 and 6. None of us thought lose to the Cardinals and the Giants back-to-back weeks. But we all knew this team wasn't that good. wasn't as good as they were perceived to be when they were 10 and 1. And now, like, that the rugs pulled out from under them. Like, yeah. Absolutely, you slipped on the banana peel. It's been there the whole time. Yeah, it's uh, it's well said. It's also what what you said about every. We, I mean, I don't understand how could they go in. Like, what do they when they go into a film session tomorrow, and they cue up the big blitzes from the Giants, and they correct it and say he, like like how is that still a thing that's happening? I don't understand. It's week eighteen. Jalen Hurts faces more big blitzes than any other quarterback in the NFL. And they still have zero answers schematically from the quarterback, from the design, from the coaches for dealing with those. They do not burn opponents on those. It's week 18. Again, you have more reps against this than any team in the NFL. And you still don't. This is this. You're facing a defensive quarter. This is literally all he does. He's been doing this for like a decade. In the NFL, you're going to face these blitzes and you look lost out there. You have no idea right. what to do against them. You're getting free rushers and you're taking sacks over and over again. Like, how do you even with a straight face have a film session on a Monday or a Tuesday saying, all right, they got us here, but here's what we're going to do next time. What? You were had that conversation in week two. You had that conversation last year. You had that conversation two years ago. After the 2021 wildcard round. It is 2024. Throwing stuff against the wall when that I don't understand how you could even look at that uh, with a straight face. So, all right, now let's go to Brian Barrett and James White from Off the Pike talking about one of the most interesting storylines in the NFL with the New England Patriots and Bill Belichick. What's going to happen? When is it going to happen? And where does that franchise go from here? Let's hear what the guys have to say. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car, Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. I'm Brian Barrett from Off the Pike. The Patriots season mercifully came to an end as they finished 4-13 and after falling to the Jets. We're usually joined by James White, but he rang the bell at Gillette prior to the season finale. I'm sure James had a great time besides the results of the game, of course, but congrats to James for doing that. It looked like a lot of fun. But So we'll get into the Pats here. They put up three points in the snow. They had a chance late, and Zappi got bailed out, right? He threw an interception, and then the Patriots find a way to get the ball back. Kaseki forces a fumble, and two plays later, Zappi throws into double coverage, and he throws another interception. 
it was sort of symbolic of the season for the Patriots, right? The offense was anemic, and they turned the ball over all season long, and their season ends with a turnover by the quarterback, Bailey Zappi. And they lose to the Jets, so that 15-game winning streak that the Patriots had over the Jets, that has now been snapped. And that would be a really difficult way for the Bill Belichick era to come to an end for the Patriots with a loss to the Jets because we know how much Bill Belichick hates the Jets. Now, before we even get to that, the good news is the Patriots are going to have a much better chance at drafting their quarterback of the future as they are locked into a top three pick, whether it be Drake May, whether it be Jaden Daniels or Michael Penix, who is going to be playing for a national championship like the Patriots are in that top three. So they certainly are going to have a chance to upgrade the quarterback position, which is something we've been calling for all season long. So that's the good thing from the loss to the Jets, despite the 15 game winning streak being over for the long term health of the organization. This result losing to New York was a good result, right? And if you look at this, look at what has happened over the past couple of years with this team, and in particular with the head coach and the GM of the team too, and Bill Belichick, it hasn't been good enough, right? But I do want to get to sort of another portion of this, right? Because we're going to find out the future of Bill Belichick very quickly here, whether or not he's going to be back. But in, from my perspective, I want Bill back as the coach and go get Adam Peters from San Francisco who's been working at a great front office, have him make the personnel decisions and bring back Bill because Bill has not lost the locker room. The guys still play hard for Bill, so I would still bring Bill Belichick back. But I do think it's interesting to look at this from the Robert Kraft perspective, right? Because I do think that he needs to be careful with this situation because for whatever reason, Robert Kraft has escaped a lot of criticism, right? It's as if he gets no blame. So I'm going to preface what I'm about to say with Robert Kraft is arguably the greatest owner in the history of the NFL. You don't get six Super Bowls without Robert Kraft, right? And he saved the franchise in a lot of ways. But he needs to be careful how he handles this thing because he wants a lot of the praise. He doesn't want any of the blame, right? And if you remember back to the Brady divorce, Brady decides to go to Tampa, of course, and Stephen A. Smith is doing his show on first take. Robert Kraft calls Stephen A. Smith during his break to essentially tell Stephen A. Smith that Tom Brady would have still been a Patriot if he wanted to be a Patriot. And we all know that wasn't the case, right? Tom wanted the Drew Brees contract at the end, and they were not going to give it to him, right? So, and Brady essentially is sitting there. All he wants is to be supported at the end, right? Brady even said prior to the 2019 season, when he was asked if he thinks he should get an extension, He said, that's up for sports talk show debate. You should ask Mr. Kraft. So Tom was obviously irritated by this, right? Tom knew that Belichick would eventually want to move on from him. And even going back to the Garoppolo thing, right? He knew like Bill was mad about that. He wanted to move on and eventually give the job to Garoppolo. But what Brady didn't think is that Kraft would want to move on from him, right? Kraft has called him basically a son. So the last time a historical figure left this organization, because Bill is a historical figure despite the past couple of years, Kraft tried to blame Brady, right? Like he legitimately tried to blame Brady publicly. Nobody bought it, right? But even if you look at what has happened since Brady has left and now where sort of the blame has gone, Bill deserves the blame. Like I I totally understand that. He's done a bad job running the team. He hired Matt Patricia as the offensive coordinator. The drafting has been bad. The personnel has been bad. We have been through this, right? But if you think about the way that Robert Kraft has handled Bill Belichick, Remember at the owner's meetings, he's asked about Bill breaking Don Shula's record. And he says, I'd like him to break Don Shula's record, but I'm not looking for any of our players to get great stats. We're about winning. 
that's our focus. Like, guy brought you six Super Bowls. Can you just answer the question and say, yeah, I'd love him to break it here. You don't have to say all this stuff about stats, right? Then he said about last season, we experimented with some things last year that frankly didn't work. Everybody would agree on that. He said, I thought the changes had to be made. And I think we made some moves and changes that give our personnel or that give me personally some hope this upcoming season. I think Patricia, and he doesn't say Patricia by name, but he means Patricia, got put in a difficult position. I think it was sort of an experiment. I think it would have been hard for it to work out. In retrospect, I think it was not the right thing. And he goes on to say, I'm very happy we're able to bring in a new offensive coordinator to help develop our young quarterback, Mac Jones. I think bringing back Bill O'Brien has been a big plus for our franchise. Okay, so let's stop there for a second here. Bill O'Brien was not a big plus for the organization. Bill O'Brien had a bad season as the Patriots offensive coordinator. Nobody can present an argument to the contrary. He also referenced, hey, Bill O'Brien can help save Mac Jones. Remember, Robert Kraft wanted credit for the Mac Jones draft pick. He was at least in some part behind the pick. He wanted a quarterback after the failed experiment with Cam Newton the prior season. So in some sense, Bill made an agreement, you would think, with Kraft that he would draft Mac Jones or a quarterback. If that quarterback was there at 15, they draft Mac Jones. And what happened last year is all the blame was put on Matt Patricia. And I'm not saying he doesn't deserve not to be blamed. And Bill certainly deserves blame as well because you can't have Matt Patricia running the offense, right? But I just look at it from the perspective of if the Patriots, let's say hypothetically, and this is a hypothetical that never would have happened because we saw the results. If the Patriots had made it to the playoffs and Mac looked like the quarterback that he was in his first season, who gets the credit? Not Bill. It's Bill O'Brien and Robert Kraft would be taking a lot of the credit for bringing in Bill O'Brien. So he wanted the praise. He doesn't want the criticism when, of course, the guy that he brought in has been a failure in Bill O'Brien. So a couple of things here. If Robert does decide to move on from Bill, it's justified, really, not even just over the past four years since Tom left, the last five, going back to Brady's final season here, going back to like the Nikhil Harry pick and the direction of the roster at that particular point in time, right? Like it's certainly justifiable to move on from Bill. But moving on from Bill, I think this is something that sort of goes under the radar here. Moving on from Bill also points out that Kraft failed when he made the decision to go with Bill over Tom. No matter what he wants to say, Robert Kraft, about the Belichick-Brady divorce or the Brady-Patriots divorce, he could have stopped it, right? Robert Kraft is the owner of the team. He could have come out and said, hey, Bill, if you don't give Tom the Drew Brees deal, well, guess what? You're not my coach anymore. And he didn't do that. Instead, what Robert Kraft tried to do is blame the greatest quarterback in the history of the NFL. And he tried to get people to believe that, hey, actually, Tom could have been here if he wanted to. Yes, under your restrictions with a contract that wasn't the Drew Brees contract, right? And to me, like, just going through all this stuff, the Shula comment came across as ungrateful to me, even if he was being set up like, hey, do you want Bill to break the Shula record? Is that what it's all about? To paraphrase what the question was. But he brought you six Super Bowls and you just sort of poo-poo that answer and talk about it's important for me to get to the playoffs, right? But anyway, with the way that this thing is uncrumbled here, Belichick deserves the most blame, like for the NFL stuff. He was in charge of the team. But it just feels like from my perspective, there's been no accountability on Robert Kraft's end, right? Where it's like, you made these decisions, right? He even said at the owner's meeting, he supported the Patricia decision. He said Bill does things unconventionally and they usually work out. So he supported that decision. So my whole point with this is you better be sure that Gerard Mayo is the right guy. Or if you're going after Mike Vrabel, because Ann Rappaport said on Sunday that 
Vrabel could be out in Tennessee, not just because he wants to go or not just because the organization wants to move on, but he may want to move on, right? He said, uh, Rappaport did, the Patriots who inducted Vrabel into their Hall of Fame in October have ignited speculation when Vrabel was spotted watching the game from Robert Kraft's suite with, when Tennessee added spy. Potentially could have an opening soon and would be a logical landing spot. I always thought it was weird that he was in the owner's box like during the season i get it it's he's going into the hall of fame i just thought that was weird like another head coach is sitting with the owner watching the game but anyway so if you look at rabel he pulls off the upset over jacksonville so six wins this past season seven the year before and if you look at it it was more roster based like i think rabel is a really good head coach and things really went south there after they traded aj brown but my whole thing is why would rabel want this job because if you think about it we know Harbaugh, if he's out there, if he decides to move on from Michigan, he's the front of the line. A lot of teams are going to want Jim Harbaugh. And obviously, when you look at Rabel, yes, he has a relationship with Kraft. I understand the connection there. But Washington has a high draft pick to, as well. You start to think about it. Well, what if Harbaugh doesn't want the Chargers job? If you're Vrabel, the thing you haven't had is a quarterback. So if you're Vrabel, there's other destinations, especially considering the success that you've had in this league where it may be a better fit than the fit that the Patriots have, right? So I just look at it like this. So he better nail the next head coach in terms of the hiring because we've talked about Bill's legacy taking a hit without Tom, right? Well, guess what? Like Kraft, yes, they made it to the Super Bowl in 96 with Parcells. We all know how that ended and it was ugly. And in terms of the whole lead up to that situation with Robert Kraft and Bill Parcells. But Kraft's legacy without Brady, sure, it's good fact that he saved the Patriots, that he went to the Super Bowl with Parcells. But this decision now, in terms of getting the next head coach right, if you're moving on from Bill Belichick, that's important for his legacy as well, right? It's the biggest move that he's made in a long time if he decides to move on from Bill. And if it's just going to be Gerard Mayo, what's the rush to do it, right? And I do think, at least in some aspects of the team, it just feels like the... and it. All the momentum is going the other direction, but it seems like the most logical thing to me is just to bring back Bill Belichick. If you can convince Bill, and it felt like today, or excuse me, Sunday, it felt like it was basically it. It felt like everybody was talking about the end of Belichick, whatever pregame show you watched, whatever reporter you were following, it felt like the end of Bill Belichick. But I would just ask you this, what's the rush? If he hasn't lost the locker room, what's the rush to move on from Bill? It still looked like a team that was playing at a high level from my perspective. And the one other thing that Robert Kraft has to be concerned about if he moves on from Bill Belichick, what if he goes to a good team? We saw what Brady did for a good team when he went to Tampa. If Bill gets one of these good jobs, like if Dallas decides to move on from Mike McCarthy and Bill has immediate success there, what does that mean for Robert Kraft? If then Bill has success after Tom had success, I think it's just gonna be a fascinating couple of days here. All right, up next is Jason Goff from the Full Go. He will talk Bears, Packers, Justin Fields, another team with a very, very interesting offseason. Is Fields gone? What can they get for him? And who will they take with the number one pick? Let's see what Jason Goff has to say about that loss in Chicago's offseason. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. 
Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to episode 336 of the Full Gold Podcast, brought to you by the good folks of FanDuel and, of course, people at The Ringer and Spotify, as always, the gang. I am Jason Goff, and I am uh, accompanied by, of course, our outstanding, our fabulous production staff. And shout out to all of our local angle folks. This is the local angle. Shout out to all of our FanDuel TV people. Now, if you're wondering right now, why is Jason wearing shades? Like, why is he wearing sunglasses? No, I'm not. Well, I am a jerk, but I'm not being a jerk in this moment. Got myself a splitting migraine. He might ask, why, Jay? What happened? It's the last Bears game of the season. And, 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 you know, we should be celebrating certain things and the, the, the cachet and the and the 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 amount and value of picks that are getting ready to sweep up Ryan Poles and Kevin Warren and the Chicago Bears fan base and organization. You know they're getting ready to solidify a new stadium deal. Everything should be great. Well, damn it, it's not. It's not. Maybe I need to drink some more water, which I'm working on, or maybe maybe I just got caught in the storm of a weird weekend of sports. Let's start right where we need to start. Bears Packers. You play them in the first week, you play them in the last week of the season, and I'll be damned if both game plans look similar. I'll be damned if the the biggest game in the organization's season, two of the biggest games in the organization's season, the Green Bay Packers don't embarrass the Chicago Bears. And when I say embarrass, you might look at that final score and say 17-9 wasn't an embarrassment. Jay, you damn right it was an embarrassment. You know why? Because Montez Sweat played his worst game as a Chicago Bear, and the defense still only gave up 17 points to the next heir apparent, apparently, in Jordan Love. Yeah, I know the 30 touchdowns and the 4,000 yards. Jordan Love looks like he's going to be that dude. He looks like he's going to be a very good quarterback. But I'll be damned if I didn't watch for 18 weeks, including the bye now, someone to have a better coaching staff than the team that I root for. I'll be damned if I didn't watch that. Coming into this game, Dan Feeney was designated as your starting center because Lucas Patrick, who also is a bench player that is starting for you at the center position because the guy at Cody Whitehair, who you paid a couple of uh, a couple of years ago a whole bunch of money because he was so versatile, you can't even play him anymore. So now Cody Whitehair gets thrown into the rotation because you've got an injury to Nate Davis early on in the game. I'll get to why Nate Davis got hurt. Okay, and I'll get to the play that Nate Davis got hurt as I as I you know walk you down this winding road of why the Bears coaching staff, hey, if anybody in the Bears coaching staff is watching this and I don't usually call for this, hey, get your and leave. Every last one of them. Get it and leave. You know why? Because I can't trust that Matt Eberflus has hired the right people for the job. We can go all the way back to the first few weeks of the season when we got defensive coordinators having to leave for, for, for unspecified reasons. Huh? We got other coaches having to go bye-bye because of unspecified reasons. That's all on your head coach, if I'm not mistaken. Matt Eberflus, this entire Bears thing 
If the whole, he's a nice guy. Let me tell y'all something right now. Anybody leads with someone being a nice guy at the gig, that means they can't do their job. That means they can't do that. Being nice should be the, the, the cherry on top of the Sunday, right? That should be the frosting on top of the cake. It shouldn't be all the cake. You should be able to do your job at a higher level. Guess what the Bears have been doing for the last few weeks? The Bears have been electing to receive the football as if this offense is equipped to get off to a fast start at all, ever, ever. You know how many touchdowns the Bears have scored in their last three road games? One. One. So on the road against the biggest rival, uh, days after Virginia McCaskey's 101st birthday, okay, you know how much Virginia McCaskey uh, cherishes this rivalry and this team. Days after that, on the road, knowing that you scored one touchdown in the previous two games offensively on the road, you elect to receive the football and put your defense in a bind in the second half by having that wraparound donut situation where they got the ball going into the first half and then they get the ball coming out of the second half, right? So you put your defense in that kind of bind already. That's just to start it off with. And then what you did when you got hired, what is it? Was it 10 and 24 ago now? If I'm not mistaken, was it 10 and 10 and 20 something? Five and 12 the last two years for, for Matt Eberflus? The offensive coordinator that Matt Eberflus either was stapled to or hired himself in Luke Getze, okay, who the sun punting has not, the campaign for punting him into the sun, the sun punting should still continue. It should still happen. Because Luke Getze thought that it would be best for the quarterback that is in his maybe final game as a Chicago Bear to throw the ball 16 times against a defense that, let's face it, y'all, the Packers defense ain't like that. They got a bunch of talkers in Jair Alexander and Sean Gary's really good. Kenny Clark, who had himself uh, an all pro day. Remember when Kenny Clark was really, really good, like three, four, five years ago. And what Kenny Clark is now, well, Kenny Clark felt like he jumped in a time machine, right? He jumped into a time machine and went back five years ago to when he was dominant. Cause you know what he was able to do? He was able to press a pocket that never moved the entire football game. The entire football game. There were two design rollouts all football game for Justin Fields, the dude who we all know, hey, doesn't get rid of the ball quick enough, you know, may have an issue, some may say, of processing information, which yeah, it, it, we get into those kind of terms, and y'all know how I feel about that. So what is a coach's job? A head coach's job is to make sure that everything is running the way it's supposed to. He's the CEO of the team. A unit coach or an offensive coordinator or a defensive coordinator's job is to put specific players in the best possible positions to succeed to make the best results for the team. Dan Feeney and Cody Whitehair were side-by-side with Kenny Clark across from them. And what did Kenny Clark do? had a field day. He had a field day. Dan Feeney was doing the, he was doing the lean back all night long in Green Bay, Wisconsin. He was in Justin Fields' lap all night long. And oh, to boot, Luke Getze thought it would be cool for his quarterback to go an entire hour of real time 
an entire hour of real time without throwing a pass. This is what we're dealing with here, folks. It's one of two things. And I hate to take it back to Casino and Ace Rothstein. Either you're too incompetent or you're in on it. Either way, your ass should be out. Because once again, it looked like Luke Getzey was trying to run Luke Getzey's offense. Justin Fields and the Chicago Bears be damned. There was a moment where Roshan Johnson on a first down got eight yards. You know what happened the next play? The next play in shotgun, (laughs) in shotgun with, I believe, Khalil Herbert next to Justin Fields. Luke Getzey, not knowing who was available or who was on the field, had Trent Taylor down blocking (laughs) on a waggle play. On a waggle play, Rashawn Gary who was 272 pounds. Trent Taylor joined the Chicago Bears this year as a secure and seven punt returner kind of dude, right? You know, the top of the waiver wire. Hey, let's go get Trent Taylor. Didn't make a play all season long. But guess what? He was in the Darnell Mooney position. Y'all seen it all season long. Darnell Mooney, one of the smallest receivers on the team, asked to block some of the biggest goddamn players on the defensive side of the football all year long. You know why? Because Darnell Mooney, after Chase Claypool's departure, was playing a lot of the plays and snaps that usually Chase Claypool would, would play in the same positions. So Darnell Mooney's not out there. Let's throw Trent Taylor, little, little Trent. Let's throw him out there so he could block Rashawn Gary on a waggle play where my quarterback is under siege all game long already. What more do you have to say to me about what this quarterback situation is or isn't? Everybody out there is fooling their goddamn selves when they talk about Justin Fields. Everyone, everyone. Justin Fields is going to be fine elsewhere. Next up is J.J. John Jastrzemski from New York, New York. A disastrous season for the New York football teams. However... They both win their regular season finales. The Jets and the Giants win their games in Week 18. What's up for them in the offseason and going into 2024? Let's hear from JJ. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Angle right here on FanDuel TV. I'm JJ John Jastrzemski, the host of New York, New York. And mercifully, this football season has come to a close for both the Giants and the Jets, respectively. And in all honesty, if you would have told me at the start of the year that in week 18, the Giants would go and beat the Eagles, the Eagle team that beat them three times last year including a humiliating, embarrassing loss in the divisional round, knocking the Giants out of the postseason. And if you were to tell me the Jets would finally end this hex, this streak of futility that has been carrying on regarding the New England Patriots going all the way back to 2015, going all the way back to that divisional round game in a can't-wait scenario with Bart Scott, 
at Foxborough Gillette Stadium, you would think that today would be a day of celebration, a day of euphoria within New York football. But the sad commentary and sad reality of where we stand in this 2023 season with the calendar flipping to 2024 is simply too little, too late. So it's great in theory that the New York Jets can go into next year and sit there and say to themselves, yeah, we don't got to worry about that streak, that hex against the Patriots. But I would have thought that beating the Patriots would be this, despite what the Patriots were this year, despite everything that has transpired in their realm with the questions surrounding Bill Belichick and whether or not he's going to be back and the Patriots finishing in dead last, you still thought, all right, it'd be a moment where the Jets could celebrate. How is it a moment you can celebrate when basically it's Trevor Simeon at quarterback, it's a game that's as gross as can be in the snow against the Patriots, and you win. whoop the freaking do Brees Hall has a great game. Takes him, you know, 16, 17 weeks to really be a focal point in the offense. How many times did you have to watch Brees Hall get seven or eight touches in the Daniel Hackett's offense? Too little, too late from a New York Jets standpoint. And now we get ready for the offseason where the reality is this. Aaron Rodgers is calling the shots. Aaron Rodgers will be back under center doing his thing for better or worse in Jetland. But it's another year for sure of Joe Douglas. It's another year for sure of Robert Sella, who is well under 500 in his first three years as an NFL head coach. And what the Jets are going to try and sell you on, and I've heard it in town already, I've heard it from some Jet fans in my life, is this idea of, hey, we're running it back. We're going to right or wrong. We're going to correct everything that should have transpired a year ago that went against us with the Rodgers injury four plays into the season. And now it's all going to come to light. And now everything's going to work out. And now everything's going to be A-OK. And I caution everybody out there, be careful. Because what we saw from the Jets over the course of this season was a roster that didn't seem like it was a quarterback away. It's not nearly as lousy as what it looked like for chunks of the second half of the year. I understand that. But do I think the Jets, as currently constructed, with minimal changes, are an Aaron Rodgers swap away from being a title contender? Uh, I'm calling BS on that one. Playoff contender, sure. But after all, the Green Bay Packers, and this is not trying to rag on Aaron Rodgers today. Listen, Aaron Rodgers will have his chance to prove what he is worth at this stage in his career in 2024. But Green Bay Packers found their way to the postseason. The Green Bay Packers won a winning-in scenario game with Jordan Love. And I understand it wasn't the prettiest game in the world against the Chicago Bears, but I think the folks in Green Bay, in many ways, are kind of relieved that they have turned the page and that they have moved in a different direction. You know their front office feels that way. You know their head coach feels that way. This is what happens when you have star players at the end of their careers. The juices really got to be worth the squeeze. Tampa Bay, they got it. They got more than they ever could have bargained for with Tom Brady. Even with the last year being ugly, 
They won a Super Bowl. They won a division. They played second round game the following year. Like, that was a slam dunk. Peyton Manning going to the Denver Broncos was a slam dunk. Are we going to get slam dunk and Aaron Rodgers and New York Jets in the same sentence? Uh, I have serious doubts and serious reservations when it comes to that. But it starts with Joe Douglas getting a second wide receiver, fixing the offensive line, and changing the feel and the dynamic within the Jets that just screams loserish. They have not gotten that out of their system. And I know a lot of things went against them and worked against them this year. I saw Cincinnati lose Joe Burrow, what was it, five, six weeks into the year? They still put together a winning season. Uh, I saw the Cleveland Browns with, what, four, five different quarterbacks find their way into the postseason. Indianapolis, I know they fell short against the Houston Texans. Gardner Minshew was one game away from getting there with Indianapolis. So my point is, there are examples of other teams that were able to find a way to do it because of what they have in their building, something the Jets clearly do not have. And until you see it, you have every reason to, dare I say, be skeptical going into next season. Now, from a giant perspective, I'm sitting there watching this game today, and the Eagles, you knew it. I gave it out on Ringer Wise Guys Sunday, 11 a.m. Eastern, bonus show Saturday, Wild Card Weekend, shameless plug, uh, Giants Moneyline. Because I just questioned what the motivation would be for a Philadelphia team that, let's be honest, is pretty broken going into the postseason. And the Giants were terrific. Saquon Barkley was terrific. Tyrod Taylor was efficient. The Giant defense was hitting Jalen Hurts left and right to the point where A.J. Brown gets hurt. Jalen Hurts is basically playing with his throwing hand. It's like, get Sirianni, get you guys out of the game. What in the world are you doing? But the Giants go and win this game. And like you're trying to handicap and figure out what it means as far as draft picks and draft stock and where they're going to end up picking is concerned. Didn't mean a whole lot. You probably would have preferred a loss in the grand scheme of things. But sometimes situations work out a certain way. You didn't get optimal, dialed-in, laser-focused Philadelphia. They're just not what they were in the earlier stages of this year. They're not what they were a season ago when they whooped the Giants every which way. But the Giants this year, you can't start off the year as poorly as they did and think you're going to dig yourself out of that hole. Were they better down the stretch? Absolutely. Did they quit on their head coach? No, they did not. And that, to me, I think is the biggest takeaway I have from what I saw in the second half of the year. As down as I was on Dable with the conservative coaching and some of the lame decisions that were being made in the Bills game and the in the Jet game, I could give you a couple other examples. They stayed together. He got the most out of backup quarterbacks to the point where, let's be honest, Tyrod Taylor in a couple of games this year was better than Daniel Jones did at any point this season. So now I am encouraged and I am excited, quite frankly, to see what Brian Dable can do with the quarterback that they take in the upper part of the draft. I think the Giants are going to be in the market for a quarterback. They're adding a quarterback to their roster, whether it's first round, second round, free agency, you name it. They are going to bring in a new quarterback. With the health concerns of Daniel Jones, with the way they can get out of that contract next year, they're bringing another quarterback in. 
I want to see him work with a young quarterback. After all, Brian Dable was able to do wonders in transforming Josh Allen into the beast that he has become in Buffalo. Don't you want to see Dable do that with whoever comes in? I do. I think it's one of the most appealing and intriguing elements of what could be next year's Giants season. Giants have talent on that defense. It's not a great defense. It's a solid defense. Needs some tweaks. Needs some work. But it definitely came on strong in the second half of the year. They're going to have to figure out what they're going to do with Saquon Barkley. So it's clearly not the most desirable way to go into 2024. But it's a new football season. Well, Jeff Money, I'm glad that we're turning a new calendar year. We got to pick maybe on the national championship game. Maybe you're looking ahead already to wildcard weekend. You might have seen some early spreads. I don't know what they have on FanDuel. What do you got for me, buddy? What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicapper picks would be for a Monday, the eighth, the national championship game. I'm going to go with Washington. Right now, the line now, the line was four and a half this morning. Now it's showing plus five and a half over Michigan. So I think it's going to be a close field goal battle, like a four point game, maybe the most. So I'm going to go with Washington. We'll go by your line, but I'm showing Washington plus the five and a half. And everyone can follow all my daily plays on Twitter at Jeff Money. Okay, JJ, I'm out of here. Let's go. Well, let's go, Jeff Money. Uh, I can't wait to watch this national championship game on Monday night. Washington, full disclosure, has been my kryptonite all year in college football. They took me down in the Pac-12 title game. Oregon was a nine and a half point favorite. They won the game outright. I had Texas the other day in the Sugar Bowl. We saw what happened. Close but no cigar. Washington and Michael Penix. Washington with all those wide receivers. They've been so much fun to watch throughout the course of this year. That said, I think Michigan's the right side in the game. So I'm going heads up with you on this. I think Michigan has been dying to get to this spot. I think Michigan has the sort of pass rush and the sort of defensive line that is going to be disruptive to Michael Penix and company. And I just kind of think it's Michigan's time. They've been in the playoff now each of the last three years. They had the heartbreak of losing the TCU game last year. Two years ago, they were just happy to be there. It was the hangover game after beating Ohio State. I think this is a culmination for Michigan. And I do wonder if Michigan goes and wins this game. Is it the last ever game that Jim Harbaugh ends up coaching with the Michigan Wolverines and maybe he finds his way to ride off into the NFL sunset and go back and right or wrong to a place where he feels he has some unfinished business. But I think Michigan is bringing home this title. I just think it's their time. Fun story, Washington. Very likable team. I understand why a lot of people are making the case for them to go and take the points. I'm going the other way here. Give me Michigan. It was four and a half. I still like it at five and a half. I actually like the fact that the line is working in my favor here. Even though you're not getting a better number, market is telling you where this game is going. Give me Michigan. I think Michigan wins by seven to 10 points. That's going to do it for this edition of the local angle. We'll be back next week with all the reactions to Wild Card Weekend. And it should be a quiet couple of days in Giant and Jetland. Jets regrouping with Rodgers. Giants kind of maybe laying in the weeds, scouting out Michael Penix and trying to figure out who their next quarterback maybe is going to be. We'll see you next week. JJ out. Be good, everybody. <laughs>